what episode is this? 41? 42. 42. Right? Episode right. 42. And I'm, I'm excited to get to this one. And I still feel like we need to do... I know it's going to be hard. Maybe not a, a live with them. But we need to do a, a, a guest with both uh, Stephen and Ashley. How? I hope well, I'm saying their last name correctly. Yeah. I... Couldn't agree more. We've tried talking about it. They are just so dedicated to what they're doing that they, uh, like zero days off is literally their motto. Um, hey, I, I get it. I'm at six days right now and it's, it's a lot, man. So, you know, we, even, even we have a hard time sticking to schedule sometimes. Yeah. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, um, focus cube enclosures, one of our sponsors, um, we're talking about them because today's episode uh, we are going to be giving a rundown and update of my experiment that I'm doing with my Halmahera reticulated python uh, with incorporating UV spectrum, and we have it in a focus cube enclosure. Um, and Nathan is also going to be updating you on his new experiment. Um, the same thing I'm doing, but... Uh, both of us are trying to achieve two different things, or not achieve, but observe two different type of unwanted retake behavior. Mine's defensive behavior. Nathan's is pushing. Um, so we're going to be talking a lot. And as for the title, Is Bigger Better? We're going to be sharing our very limited review and experience of what these bigger enclosures for these smaller animals are doing. And just kind of given our two cents on that. So hang tight for this episode. Um, U.S. Ark, Florida, Nathan. Yeah. Uh, were you able to watch May 10th and 11th, a little bit of the the comments that were made during the FWC stakeholders meeting? Yeah, I've seen compilations of them, um, and I wasn't able to watch it live, but I've been I, I've seen several. I watched bits and pieces live while at work. I think most people just given the time and date were at work or dealing with kids, what what have you. And, you know, I got to watch as much as I possibly could. But, uh, yeah, there's some great compilations. There's videos. Uh, I'm actually going to, uh, while you talk about it a little bit, uh, find a link to this video and just shout out this channel because there was a good compilation that I shared to our story today. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, so uh, for those of you guys that don't know, there was a hearing May 11th and 12th um, about FWC, all that stuff going on. Um, get caught up if you haven't gotten the updates about that. Um, it really seemed like FWC in the Florida you know, that panel that was there was really just pushing this off when majority of the people in that building were really wanting to talk about what FWC did and their rights to keep animals. So we are definitely shaking things up. We need to keep fighting and keep pushing back this whitelist. So don't forget to support them. Become a member. Donate if you can. Um, you know, that's going towards future lawyer fees and just about everything that they need to run and operate to make sure that we can do everything we can to to try to help florida not basically lose the right to keep just about any animal besides a cat or a dog that really is what it boils down to yeah. um i i'm struggling to find that link unfortunately um but 
I'll, you know I'll I can label. Just, yeah, I'll always put it in the description. I'll I'll do some work on the back end and make sure everyone can watch that video as you're either watching or listening to this podcast or afterwards. Uh, but it just kind of goes over all the commenters on May 11th. It uh, includes Phil Goss, uh, the previous owner of Underground Reptiles, Tom Crutchfield, uh, the U.S. Arc, Florida. Oh, I can't remember her name right now, but uh, one of the directors at U.S. Arc, Florida, who has owned large constrictors. I think just some of the comments made that day were super eloquent. Uh, they were great. And definitely combated some of the rhetoric that was being said by fwc in days leading up to the hearing and uh even during the hearing uh it was amazing how much they pushed back on even just the comments that day yeah i don't think there's any denying that when you lay facts out onto the table fwc doesn't have a platform to really you know try to make any arguments if i'm going to be honest but it'll be interesting to see how that develops um with that being said, um, I also want to give a shout out. So we're going to be talking about VivTech products. Uh, we're going to be talking about Focus Cube enclosures, two of our um, sponsors. So before even we do the whole ads later on, just want to drop a plug for uh, Stewart Designs, uh, you know, your go-to branding, marketing needs, um, top-end, luxurious type of company that can really take your marketing to the next level and really help you define yourself, create a vision. And then Nathan, why don't you talk about our very new sponsor that we are going to be plugging in here. And yes, you guys will get a 10% discount on these accessories. Yeah, so Chris Sexton over at Heli Guy Serpents. Uh, he's, been a, he's been a friend of mine for years. I believe I met him uh, through Cusco just years ago and you know he's just been super innovative with how he looks at his enclosures uh since enrichment has been brought to the forefront of just some of the reptile culture he's really just been pushing what he's been putting into his enclosures uh he used to do a lot of pvc stuff uh he helped me with some pvc perches back in the day you've had those now, shows for a minute yeah and they're great uh i mean they're bulky and a little bit heavier than I like. So what he's doing now is really, really cool to me, especially seeing as I just hatched out a, a, a bunch of babies is he's doing 3D printed perches, uh, different caging accessories. I know he's doing uh, sky hide little slides so you can install hides into the top of your enclosures he's doing cup holders all sorts of stuff just to enrich the lives of your reptiles and to add a little bit more to your enclosures to make it a little bit more functional yeah when we play our ad he's gonna be on there and you'll see his website all the products he sells and if you use trl10 as a code you'll get 10 percent off um so Nate, let's jump into, um, you know, I, I'm kind of interested to hear about your experience so far um, of, of, you know, kind of summarize, you know, the enclosure you got from Focus Cube and all that good stuff. Yeah, kind of where I wanted to start too was just 
both of our thoughts on just how these enclosures stack up to other enclosures we've used in the past, just in design, build quality, all of that. Um, I'll start off aesthetically. I think they are easily the best looking enclosures in my room. Not only the best, they're like, I've never, like they're sexy. Like I'm attracted to them. Like they are nice. (laughs) Yeah. They are very, very nice. Uh, Ease to put together. Super, super simple, especially with how they label everything with the stickers that come on the enclosures themselves. So I had no issues at all. I would say I put together my enclosure in uh, sub an hour. Cool. Um, Yeah, as far as PVC quality goes, I've kept a number of PVC enclosures. I've never had any that felt as legit as these. They're sturdy. Um, when you're building and putting everything together, they do such a great job of lining everything up. Um, and what's really great about them, um, you know, at least my focus cube is they don't settle for what works. They continue to like push the envelope and do different things. Um, and it's just evident in the design, you know, the, the molding in the front, um, they have options with fans. Um, but I have been really, I mean, you know, me. And, you know, I ditched PVC, you know, a year and a half ago and started doing ABS welded stuff. And now that I got my first focus cube um, and I've talked to Ashley and I talked to Steven about everything that they look into, like, guys, we were at uh, Bill's house in Arlington and Bill's place is stacked with focus cubes and we're all having a great time drinking looking at snakes. Steven is examining his enclosures, looking for, for the flaws and ways to improve them. Like that's the kind of like meticulous, like dedication that they have to just innovating and making things better, more efficient, more effective. Um, and the product shows it at my place. Um, I mean, it's shown it from the very start of the company. Right. Uh, and they've only gotten better. So I only expect them to take all the feedback that they get from us, from other reptile keepers like Bill, uh, just anyone who's using these currently in their collection and they actively make sure that they're making their product better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they are great. And I know you're not here at this part of the experiment yet with the VivTech bulb, of having it on on a daily basis. Do you have a timer? Got to get uh, you a timer. A timer? Like a, a smart plug to like... Oh, uh, so I, I, I already have plans to get some of those. I was just needing cool. to reach out. Anyways, so yeah. So they are, um, you know, I've, I've, I've loved what I've seen from them and I'll go more in detail when I start giving the update of phase two. Um, if you watch an episode earlier on, you'll hear about phase one. Um, and let me just kind of review these phases for you in this experiment. Um, so ultimately what drew the motivation for this experiment was this idea that this movement that's happening about giving more going bigger, doing better for your retics, for, for your reptiles in general. And I made a relationship with 
Ryan and Erica with VipTech and their UV lighting, and they inspired me, made me feel like a kid all over again. And then we partner with Focus Cube to use their enclosures because of their innovation and everything. And so basically, um, I had a really defensive, uh, juvenile, young, you know, under under a year old Halmahera female um, that I was keeping in a in a tub because um, she was still tiny. And so had this idea to use a larger enclosure and a UV bulb to measure differences. And so I am measuring defensiveness, inquisitiveness, and food response. And there's three different phases this is breaking down. Phase one, basic setup in the new enclosure, paper hides, same way that I've kept that snake in a tub. Um, that's kind of like a three week control. Then phase two, which is where I'm wrapping up right now, same setup, but with UV spectrum lighting, the VivTech lighting, and that's going to be a 15 week. I was aiming for three months, 12 weeks, but I, I just ordered, I'm at that point right now. And I just ordered the cork bark and everything that I need for phase three. So we're extending that. Um, so for 15 so, weeks, 15 weeks. All right. Yeah. Phase three is an enriched enclosure. If you listen to the last episode, we talked about this. We talked about bioactive. I I don't think that bioactive is something that is going to play a part in ideally what we're trying to measure is if a naturalistic setup changes anything. So I'm going to be putting cork bark. Basically it's going to have, fake or live plants in there in a pot or fake plants, you know, on clamp, uh, plant clamps from focus cube that drip down from the top plants coming up from the bottom in a pot or a fake plant. And then, um, cork bark. And basically there's not going to be a single plastic manufactured hide other than the sky hide that comes with the enclosure. And I want to include, like, for me at least, on that portion of the experiment, I'm going to be messing with different substrates. Uh, I want to do maybe a cocoa fiber, maybe some aspen somewhere, cor uh, cork bark. That yeah, I'm, I'm going to uh, definitely be as doing well as this, as well as the sphagnum moss for uh, the sky hide, or at least one of the sky hides. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely doing a natural like soil place sand type of base. And, you know, I will throw in some isopods and things in there, but I'm not, I'm not so much worried about that. I'm still going to clean normally. I'm not going fully like the, the, I'm not going to label it bioactive because if I do, then the bioactive people out there are going to be like, Oh, that wasn't bioactive. It's a naturalistic setup with natural soil place sand, you know, that mix that people do. Um, and then just naturalistic hides, plants, all that good stuff. Um, and that's also going to be with the UV light. And that's yeah, uh, someone, well, in the mainland community, Ed Tuaka, who we talk about all the time, it seems like on this podcast, um, he's been messing around with some bioactive stuff with his, uh, snake, Sonny and share. And he just recently shared something. And he's like, if you want to try bioactive with retics, just prepare for ultimate disappointment <laughs> you know i he he shared that and i saw that but then we also had scott on not too long ago yeah and he kind of said the same thing I, once you get past kind of that six foot mark then you know expect 
plants to die, expect to be replanting stuff. The the yeah. bugs don't take care of as much as you need them to. Yeah. So, you know, the idea is just to have that naturalistic setup. So ideally what we're doing is a, a short control um, of three weeks of same old, but in a bigger enclosure. Then we're doing the same thing, but flipping on the UV lighting. So that way we're actually getting a really good idea of like, if the lighting is impacting anything or just observing what it's doing with the lighting. And then next we're going to, after that, we're going to keep the UV light on and provide it with that naturalistic type of setup. Um, and, you know, ideally what we are trying to look for, like I said, for me, it's defensive behavior, inquisitiveness and food response and how that is. Uh, Nathan, talk about the parameters and the, the main thing that you are trying to resolve or at least observe to see if it helps. Yeah, I feel like we need to before we get into any of our experiences with how everything's been going. But, you know, for the most part, we need to be making sure that we're interacting with these animals at least a few times a week, making sure that we have, you know, five minute plus interactions, really getting a baseline of that animal's behavior. Yeah, I think that's first and foremost. Um, And then just having structure with that animal as well you know, feeding, uh, just general interactions. Like if you're, if you're hook training, make sure you're using the hook consistently in the same way, every time you approach the animal. Um, and then we also are just making note of any of the animals behaviors, whether it's just us walking in the room or, uh, sliding open the glass or turning on the lights, what, what have you, if, if there's some kind of noticeable behavior change when there's stimulus involved, we want to be taking note of that. Whether you're just getting into retics or you've been breeding for years, the first place you want to visit is Stewart design. More and more breeders keep showing up at shows on morph market and all over socials. Sometimes it may feel impossible to get anyone's attention. Stewart design helps small businesses like yours do big things through brand clarity, helping entrepreneurs to start and scale businesses that are easy to know and love. Their work can help any company or industry, but they've done a ton of work for ours. Stewart Design created the brand for US Arcs, Canova, Reach Out Reptiles, Coiled, and dozens of other well-known reptile breeders. Like many of us, the owner of Stewart Design, Blake, is a keeper and breeder who fell in love with retics. Although Stewart Design does a lot of corporate work, Blake has a passion for working with people in the reptile industry. So, wondering if Stewart Design is right for you? Stewart Design can help if you're just getting started or you're ready to take things to the next level. Maybe you're struggling to stand out and build your presence online or at shows. And maybe you don't want to be like the other guys or get lost in the crowd. You want to make your own way doing what you love. You might just have a big idea and know your business is special, but you need help sharing it with the reptile community. If something here resonates with you, reach out to Blake. Have a conversation with him. To learn more or get started, visit sdidentity.com or call them at 855-SD-LOGOS. Clear brand, own markets, Steward Design helps create them. If you are in the market for an enclosure for your reticulated python or any other one of your reptiles, Focus Cubed Habitats is your one-stop shop for not only the best-looking cages on the market, but also provide amazing features and add-ons 
to your cages. We partnered with Focus Cute Habitats because they continue to innovate and change the way we house our animals unlike any other caging company out there. Their cages are designed intelligently and provide the most stylish and secure housing for your animal's comfort and well-being. Visit focuscubedhabitats.com for your animal's caging needs. Again, visit focuscubedhabitats.com for some amazing and stylish enclosures. We also want to thank VivTech Products for being an affiliate sponsor of the Retic Lounge. Stop by VivTech Products for the best UV spectrum lighting on the market that will enhance and improve your snake's overall well-being and health. Visit VivTechProducts.com and use the code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Again, visit VivTechProducts.com and use our affiliate code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Looking for the perfect accessories for your hatchlings or juvenile retics? Look no further than Heli Guy Serpents. Our sponsor, Chris Sexton, is coming in hot with an amazing 3D printer creating top-notch perches and other caging accessories for your beloved pets. Enrich your retics environment with their high-quality products. Use our promo code TRL10 for a 10% discount on your purchase. Visit them today at heliguyserpents.com and start giving your pets the best. Heliguy Serpents, the premier source for 3D-printed caging accessories. Again, that's www dot heliguyserpents.com and use our promo code TRL10 for 10% off all of your 3D printed accessories today. Right. Um, and, you know, the feeding that I've been doing has been, um, you know, so ideally I have like a routine with all of my animals every seven, seven days when they get to a certain size every 10 days. And, you know, life gets in the way of that. And so semi-structured is kind of what's happening. I mean, ideally I, I feed the way I feed most of my retakes by going off of look, but for this experiment, it's been in between every seven to 10 days consistently uh, because she is still small. So yeah, I'm not, I mean, if you go back to our feeding episode, I'm pretty much following my feeding guidelines that I laid out. So yeah. for hatchlings and anything within that year to two mark every seven to 10 days, uh, once they pass like the two to three mark, um, that's when I'm going to start spreading stuff out 10 to 14 days. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that I keep, no, I'm going to have you go to what you are measuring and what you are doing because I, well, I can, no, I, I really want you to start just because you've had your enclosure longer and you've been in the first phase longer. So, uh, let's, let's kind of start with your animal's behaviors, what we're looking to hopefully yeah. see change and what changes you have seen or yeah. haven't seen. So I'm going to make all of you go to the previous episode to listen to my update on phase one, because I'm about done with phase two. And that's what I'm going to spend time talking about. Phase two was turning on that UV light, that UV spectrum lighting. And, um, observations so far from an objective standpoint of just going into my snake room and I pull up my, my uh, notes on my iPhone and I start jotting down what I am seeing during this time frame. Um, I often, so it's very rare that I see her directly under 
the light. Sometimes she is. She'll be, so basically the light is at the top of the enclosure. It's a 24 inch tall and it shoots straight down to the bottom. There is a perch that goes along the length of the enclosure that is a little offset from the light that she likes to lay out across it where you can see the light directly on her. Or um, there is a shelf that's in there that she lays where you can see the light on her, but she's not directly under where that light is going down. Um, I so, think that in my enclosure, I know you're on uh, ambient, but I think in my enclosure, that's where the heat panel would be. Yeah. Yeah. Right on that shelf. Right. Um, and so it's, it's been really cool to see at, at the very beginning stages. Let me open up my notes. So at the very beginning stages, um, she was, extremely active. I noticed a lot more activity when the UV light came on and I have been keeping temperatures inside of the enclosure. The ambient temperatures in the enclosure with that light on have only increased when it's on by 1.4 degrees. So the light is not giving off a lot of heat. We're talking about more activity when the ambient temperatures in her enclosure we're still 82, 83. And for those of you that do keep ambient, um, you're going to know that 82, 83 is not overheating your retic. It's not going to cause pacing back and forth. Um, one amazing thing that I've seen in this that I love, I've witnessed zero pushing um, from my animal in a bigger enclosure on bare paper still with the UV lighting. Um, I haven't witnessed that type of behavior. Um, and what I've noticed towards the last four weeks of phase two is she has been up in her sky hide a lot more and she'll come out and she'll bask, get some UV, but then she'll go right back up. It's normally day seven to day nine after feeding that she starts to get really, really active again. Um, it seems like she has just gotten comfortable in her sky hide and almost like, and I don't mean to anthropomorphize or anything, but um, from my observation, it almost seems like she now just has her routine. When I come into the garage um, during the weekend and it's midday, um, she's out in the open when I'm in there cleaning in the evening, she's up in the sky hide. And when I'm in there in the morning, she's in her sky hide. She mm -hmm. typically, I observe her under that light between 12 and 3 PM. And yeah. Then, that I feel like that's where my, uh, VivTech uh, monitor is going to come into play. Yeah. I, I think I am going to permanently install it into this in spirit experiment build just to be Might able as well. to yeah just to be able to document stuff just a little bit better because i'm not always home to be able to check when some of these behaviors are happening so far i'm only in the first stage and i uh, i effectively increased my animals enclosure size by three times uh with my case i'm trying to stop an animal that has just always been super active and always pushed just a little bit nothing 
serious, not ever causing any real damage besides just swelling. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so far, just putting him into the enclosure over the last month, I believe. I would have to look back, but it's around a month that I've had the enclosure set up and him moved in. He, during the first week or two, was just super active, exploring every inch of the enclosure, really utilizing the sky hides, really utilizing the perches. Uh, he loves it. Uh, after he settled in, settled in after a couple weeks, he started to explore the boundaries of the cage a little bit more. Uh, with retics, you give them as much space as you want. They're still going to try to go past those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, so anytime I let him out of the cage, he'll climb on top. He'll climb around. He's always trying to get more vertical space. But uh, he, like any retic, they know where their enclosure opens from. And this is my first enclosure that has sliding glass. So there is just that. Uh, yeah, clap. <laughs> I, I don't know. So I have now I have drop down uh, polycarbonate. Is that what it is? Polycarbonate? Maybe. Yeah, I have. No, there, there's 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 acrylic Thank and then you. there's tempered glass. And then I don't there's know I'm glass. thinking polycarbonate, but <laughs> I, I have drop down acrylic doors and then I have your hooks. Uh, swing out acrylic doors and now I have sliding glass in my snake room there's you problems got... there's problems with every single one of them yeah yeah I totally agree as a matter of fact do you want to know man as far as like the inability to wedge or push or do anything I would say that the swing outdoors focus cube design and how it sits perfectly flush there's absolutely zero way. So I have a so I have a swing is, door. This is where I screwed up on my focus cube experiment build. That was originally the plan for. No, you didn't screw up. So listen, we're only in phase one, so this very well could be remedied by phase two or phase three of the experiment. We'll definitely see. Uh, but uh, the sliding glass even though there's not the wedge like you see in an animal plastics enclosure with that uh, front. Yeah. The little gap between the front facade and the glass, there is still between the glass, just right in the middle, the tiniest little gap. And that's now where he is pushing. Yeah. Um, And that's going to happen. I walk into my garage and every once in a while, you know, when a snake is ready to eat and, um, I, I've really, over the last six months, I've gotten away from structured feedings. And so I let my snakes tell me, and if I know I haven't fed my snake in 10 to 14 days and I see it doing that, you know, I know it's time to feed, but yeah, there is just, it's not even a gap. It's basically just that overlap Yep. of the glass and they just, they like to do it. Um, what well, I like... and the only reason I would say that this behavior might not happen if I had the swing out, um, and Sorry, but this is just uh, a little bit of trauma from my animal plastics enclosures. Man, <laughs> but, it's rough. Like they're they're not that bad, but like the acrylic just sits not so flush that it's broken off the plastic latches. Um, and I haven't had a a good suggestion on uh, a replacement for those quite yet. I would like something sturdier, maybe metal that can hold that acrylic in without snapping over time um 
But uh, in his old enclosure, he he had half the vertical space, and he would really only wedge his nose up into the top corner. I don't think he could do that in this new enclosure if he had swing outdoors and there was just a fully front, uh, flush front. That that, and again, this goes back to what I was talking about with Focus Cube. Is that that? Again, like when they first started, there were there were like little issues that they saw and they continued refining, refining, and the product that I received with those swing outdoors is just like. Uh, it, it sits perfectly flush. It's 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 pretty damn incredible. So let me also pick your brain about this. The smaller the snake, the more that that little overlap of the of the glass is going to actually like be something that they can wedge and drive in. Yeah. What if we keep snakes, you know, up to five foot enclosures in those swing open doors? a focus cube swing open door because they're perfectly flush. And then by the time that they get larger, I have never seen my big snakes in all of my enclosures that I have sliding glass without that gap. I've never seen a big snake with a, with a bigger head try to, you know, that little tiny little thing. It's, it's nothing for their face. So I'm almost wondering if like now we need to phase in, you know, from this size to this size, it's best to use it if you're trying to prevent pushing. Yeah, and I mean, not a not every retake's going to push like that. No, no, no. Yours I, is I a, have... a special obsessive compulsive. Yeah, he he just anytime he can find a way out of his enclosure, or try to convince you that it's time to come out. He's he's trying to do it. So yeah, you know, you step foot in there, he's coming out of his sky hide, getting onto his perches, and trying to yeah get through the glass. Now, we talked about this in a previous episode, and I'm sure Nathan can now, like, definitely see it, but I, I talked about, like, the intelligence of retakes on a level that if it, it's it's a matter of, like, just whether your retake is going to do this or not, but they are intelligent to the point that if they ever feel that opportunity to escape or they're pushing and they find that area to push it literally can develop into snake OCD where they now have this obsessive compulsive drive to do it and your parameters could be perfect. You can overfeed the hell out of the animal. There is nothing that's going to stop it from doing it because once it feels like it catches an idea of like, I can escape, it does not stop. And um, it's frustrating as I'm, I'm sure you are, frustrated yeah and i want to say one thing on the ocd portion of that because i do agree quite a bit on that i want to say like just we've seen evidence that these animals can be trained to a degree Mm -hmm. don't to a degree yeah yes Every animal can be trained to a degree, even no, a dog. No, they could be trained more to a degree. They're, they're target trained. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm referring to. But I don't think it's always good to reward bad behavior. So if you notice your retake pushing and trying to get out of its enclosure and get interaction, that's not when I open the cage and try to interact with that animal. That's actually... Dude, That that's... 
that's behaviorism at its at its finest. That's actually a really I that never even crossed my mind and I study psychology and I'm a therapist and I didn't even think of that. And that's well, actually such a good point. Well, usually when he starts pushing is when I'm in the room cleaning, doing other stuff and he wants my attention or he wants something. Right. Um so if I need to handle him that day or if I need to handle him while I'm in the room and he's doing that, I mm -hmm. remove myself from the room. I shut off the lights. I have cameras in there and right. I just watch the cameras until he's occupied doing something else. I usually have the lock already off his cage. Then I slide open his glass and start fresh. Right. So... Um, I'll even just throw in an example from a Patreon member that we have, and I won't call out this person's name just in case they don't, but they got their first retic and um, they would allow the retic to kind of just explore while they were cleaning clay cages. And they found that the retic would go into like a shelf and a cabinet and just chill out there. He has its spot. Um, and, you know, there's almost this idea that this, this, Retic is an avid pusher. He's he's gone through the steps of pushings from our video on how to try to correct that behavior, but it almost seems like this snake, you know, I, I I almost I'm almost interested to ask this person if they if they see their snake pushing, they allow them to go out, right, and kind of rewarding that behavior that you talked about because, um, you know, I I had this idea that it was kind of just like it's tasted this sense of freedom in a big room and found its space that it doesn't like being in an enclosure. But it could also be that at this individual, every time it sees it pushing, it wants to stop it from pushing and it takes, you know, he, he takes him out. Um, For any know, animal that's not defensive, any form of enrichment is on the same level as giving your dog a treat. Right. So you want to reinforce behavior. Exactly. Um, I would be curious to get Scott Seaver's uh, opinion on that with all his dog training knowledge. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually, uh, you know, applying behaviorism to, to retakes. That's an interesting concept. I never even thought about, but um, other than obviously tap training and tapping on the side of the enclosure or eliciting a response, like a, a, a target for food. Right. But, but, you know, applying that to pushing is something that never crossed my mind. Um, let me talk a little bit about the observations that I've seen in my experiment before we actually get into this ideas is bigger, better, um, you know, and, and so forth with that. But in phase two, so remember the main motivation for this was my snake was a dickhead and by dickhead i mean my snake was just scared as hell um i would hold my snake and it would just grip onto my hand for dear life terrified almost like a food response type of constriction but you could tell that the snake was just terrified because it would not move a muscle and it would it used to be this battle where if i moved it would bite me and we would just play this game of frozen where if I stayed frozen and she stayed frozen, she eventually would let go of me. Um, that is this, this same snake. Did you sing, let it go? Huh? Well, did you sing, let it go in your head while you were waiting? 
not even in my head, you can even ask Sean, my helper, one day when he was there witnessing it, it was a 15-minute standoff, and I was singing it out loud. <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> uh, That's how I, you know Lucas has kids. Exactly. I was going to say, I got a two-year-old daughter. I have an excuse for that. Um, but um, this snake, completely different. One thing that I have observed since turning the UV lighting on that was not present before, or it was present, but not nearly as strong food response was ranked at around a three without the light with the light, a three out of five with the light. It's about a solid four every single time. Um, that is her first reaction. Any day of the week food response has been through the roof, but this snake has gained confidence so much that she no longer constricts like that. She has not struck at me or Sean, my helper during this process over the last probably two plus months before when one of us were handling her during phase one and there was someone else in the garage. Like let's say I was holding her and Sean was in the garage. Um, If I didn't want to get, lit up and tagged by her a bunch of times i'd have sean be on the opposite side of the garage out of sight any movement by sean she'd bite um <laughs> and, and, and vice versa but now we can hold her the other person could be cleaning doing whatever can walk right by her she is not a single bit defensive like she used to be now i'm sure i'm sure if i clapped i'm sure if i did something intentionally to startle her she probably like would, movements but movements in front of the face. Yeah. Know. Yeah. That's that... constantly moving a heat signature in front. That, that'll do it. But yeah, grabbing onto the snake the wrong way, just, you know. Yeah. Now, there are variables and there are factors that we have to observe and that will be included in this study. For example, the snake is now a year old, has gained some size, you know. That that's a common thing that I've seen with my turnates and Halmaheras are from Maluku as well. So turnates up until about a year old or until they get past being very tiny are savages. They 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 strike, they bite at everything, they they are totally scared. Um and it could be age as a contributing factor, but the fact that the snake is soaking up UV is in a larger enclosure and has eyes on me. Right, That's one thing that I think is a big difference in a tub. It's opaque. It stays in the back. Doesn't see much. And then all of a sudden, it's chilling for a day and a half with no disturbance. And then I decide to just rock its world and open up this tub. Right? Like, I'd be scared shitless if I was a small animal. I think about that every time I open up my hatchling rack. I'm like, oh, you guys are not ready for this. But (laughs) here I am. (laughs) Um, but in an enclosure, um, especially when she's in her sky hide, I'm in the garage cleaning, doing my thing. And she's watching, she sees me. Um, and so there might be some, some aspect that, um, you know, again, this is me providing interpretations of what I'm seeing and what I'm observing. This, these are not going to be things included in the study because this is going to be as objective as possible. But like, I just feel like this snake looking and seeing me all the time in the garage now versus never seeing me unless I opened up its tub, um, you know, could be a contributing factor to that. It, it establishes a connection, even though you're not interacting with that animal hands on. Yeah. 
exactly. It starts to learn your habits and learn that you're not there to hurt it. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's funny that you even say that because the snakes that are in enclosures, if I run my sink in the garage and I'm washing hands or I'm washing things and doing that, they all start to like a lot of them start to pace because they associate that sink turning on and that noise with me thawing out rats. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where when they can see you, they start to learn your behaviors. And I think that that could possibly be playing a role, but, um, you know, as far as inquisitiveness, um, you know, opening up the enclosure, um, I would say that that's remained pretty constant throughout the study. Inquisitive has always been there. When I open it up and I turn off the food response, I let her come to me from the hook, right? I let her, so she's kind of up. She's on an upper level cage. So I, I'll turn off the food response and I hold the hook out. I let her climb down the hook herself, crawl around, her moving all over the place in her enclosure often. Um, but yeah. I mean, so, so far food response has increased, um, defensiveness drastically has decreased. Inquisitiveness is roughly about the same. Um, and if we're going to caveat into is bigger, better in my experience so far, without a doubt. And I say that because she went from a tub to a massively larger enclosure. She's in a 30 by 24 by 24. And this is a snake that's maybe two feet long. Um, and eh, probably two and a half. Um, but she uses every bit of that space. She's out there basking under the bulb. Um, she uses her sky hide. She goes on her perches. One thing that I haven't seen is I haven't seen that like um, roostering behavior that you see in some chondros and in and, and carpet pythons. I haven't uh, seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen any of that either, which I'm a little bit surprised about just because I've seen it like on the edge of water bowls with hatchlings and right. the stuff as I've raised it up over the years. So yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it's a little weird that I haven't seen and it's hanging out like a chondro. Right. I haven't seen that, but you know, when I when I have my hatchlings in their hatchling racks and I'm using those Heli Guy Serpent um uh the perches with the cup holders, half of my animals anytime that I open them up, they're on top of there um doing that. So I haven't seen that, which I think it would be really cool too, but um anytime that she's on the perch alone, she's usually extended across it. Um yeah, same here. But she's used every bit of that enclosure. Um, and I, I'm I'm even more excited for phase three that I'm going to be providing naturalistic type of hides and, and, and wood and cork and, um, you know, to see really what the heck, like, she decides to start doing. Um, you know, yeah, maybe... I, I think honestly, the game plan for this should really be we do one more episode when I'm in the middle of phase two, you're in the middle of phase three. And then really, after that, we should bring on Ashley, Stephen, kind of talk about everything we've seen. Yeah. And maybe suggestions that we have. Yeah, we can bring them on at that phase. And then when both of us are done, and we're ready to kind of publish and push out the actual paper of it 
and we we can probably have Ryan and Erica back on to talk about the study. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to get into that uh, to uh, the UV spectrum portion of the experiment. You're, you, I mean, you're at the point right now where I really, you know, I'm, yeah, yeah, you're at well, so, and and I'm I'm really just at the point within the last couple of days after shutting the incubator down where I can. Uh, I need to perfect. get those those smart uh, plugs so I can run my lighting without it taking up space on my uh, thermostats. Yeah. Yep. Um, so. So. Um, oh, before we before you you get to this thought, because uh, you you did your is bigger better. I want to say yes, same as Lucas, all the same points with a small caveat if. You're dealing with issues like I am with pushing. Um, simply providing it just a bigger enclosure. If that animal still wants to push, it will find a way. Yeah, that's what you're observing so far. Yep. Yeah, um, and that—that's man. I—I've never been more frustrated with keeping retakes than when pushing is happening. Yeah, like I said, it's not. It, he he's not so OCD where it's destroying him, but if I'm in the room a lot and not constantly paying attention to him like I am with the babies right now and checking on the incubator like I have been the last couple of weeks, then, you know, he starts to get a little puffy nose. Yeah. I'm almost like at phase three is going to be a really big do or die in terms of behavior and seeing what changes for you. Um, because next phase is keeping it the same, but measuring Vivtex, uh, you know, that UV lighting to observe differences. Um, but once you get to phase three and you have a lot more going on in there, um, wondering what that's going to do. I, I mean, I'm also curious what the lighting is going to do. I'm curious, Lucas, have you caught your animal soaking at all since you've put your animal in the enclosure? Nope. Which is which is weird to me because I always see my retic soaking, but I have yet to uh, witness this animal in his enclosure soaking. He's usually climbing around doing other stuff. I've right. Since really I switched to do it. Since I switched to Aspen, um I see a lot of my bigger animals soaking. I don't see a lot of my my sub six foot animal soaking. Um, mm-hmm. Hardly ever. I'm actually trying to think when's the last time I saw a one to two year old animal soaking, and I can't off the top of my head. But all of my adults, um, they all soak. Well. We're out here in Utah. I think soaking's like a prerequisite. So, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, even with my garage, man, I my garage will be like eighty percent humidity because it'll be the middle of the day, and my humidifier or my dehumidifier is full, so it's not running. The water reservoir is full, and I have to dump it out. But I'm at work, um, and I'll get into my garage, humid as hell, um, and I'll still see snakes soaking. Um, and no, I don't have mites right now. Um, trust me, I've been paranoid as hell looking at every which way, but I've noticed that this behavior has changed since I switched over to Aspen. Um, don't know why, 
because again, my humidity is in between 50 and 65% consistently. Um, but the Aspen has, has caused my adults to start soaking, even if my garage is insanely humid. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you know, I, I'm almost inclined that, you know, and that that's where I think that your phase three is going to be. Um, now it is going to be a big significance in your study when it comes to pushing behavior, because where I stand right now, like bigger is absolutely better, but bigger and bare, you know, it, it, it's, you know, can, can also do harm for certain animals. You have to remember, as we talked about before, each retake as an individual, um, I had a chronic pusher purple albino that I bought as an orange glow, but it ended up being purple. Um, that was a chronic pusher. And the only time that that snake chilled and did not push was when I put it in a Christmas tree tote. Um, but I went as far as to put it in a larger enclosure, five footer. It was pushing in a, in a small enclosure and a big enclosure. And for some reason, just did better in a tote. Um, yeah, that, and- that breeder male that I used the first year could not be in a, a an open front enclosure. Yeah. Uh, he was in a totally dark tub. He wouldn't push his face in half. But for the first half of his life, he, he was one of the worst pushers I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I... So each individual, Luckily, it wasn't my is... animal during that point. Yeah, no kidding. Um, what was that the animal that you sent me pictures of that it just yeah. messed its face up? I mean, completely split in half. You, you've never seen a retic face like this. Yeah, no, it's it's well, I guess, well, yeah, now, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh. Uh, go uh, back well, to our Marf Market episode. We talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. Um, <laughs> good point um but yeah you know each each retake i'm gonna go back to is an is an individual but i don't think wrong that i don't think you can go wrong with trying bigger you know as long as it's not empty um and you know we kind of see this wave pushing forward of doing more for your retakes and for your reptiles in general and i'm all about it and shopping um, perches hides they'll yeah. use it as, as a matter of fact um I, I, i'm bummed i didn't even mention this earlier in the episode because i don't know how many people are going to actually hear about this now but nathan you and i have been uh kind of lucky to have been part of a group right now on messenger on facebook with some really you know old school breeders big name breeders Um, And the idea of this group that we started is we want to, we're all working towards creating a Facebook group um, that is focused on ethics of breeding and keeping retics. You know, people who just keep retics. Well, and I think another thing to add to is not just retics, not just super dwarf retics, not just dwarf retics, but retics as a whole and trying to get a better community together between the two. Yeah. Bridge the gap between 
that divide that we have in those yeah. communities right now. For those of you that are unaware, a lot of mainland breeders out there are, are you know, they, they, they're feeling, um, I don't want to say feeling attacked, but there's just kind of this implement, there, there's this idea that like, oh, anyone who's keeping now a huge snake is, you know, you can't provide enough for that snake and it's unethical. And, you know, superdorf, some superdorf breeders have exploited that. And, you know, there, there is a divide right now between mainland and superdorf breeders. Um, and so ultimately what we're doing with this group is we're, we're creating an alliance to not only um, have a group focused on education, ethics of keeping, but also just bringing back, you know, whether Superdorf or Mainland, they're retics and really just bringing us all together. Um, we're, we're hoping to have, by the time this episode launches, we're hoping to have this group open and ready. We'll start spamming and sending out invites, um, but it's not going to be your typical retic group where, you know, it's just going to be a place for you to post your animal and say ready to fly, right? Or looking for a new zip code or it it's really going to be geared towards trying to advance retic breeding and keeping using polygenic traits, um, doing smart breedings, keeping better, keeping more ethical and just kind of bridging that gap between like Nathan said, bringing uh, mainland and superdorf breeders back on the same page and not against each other. Um, the retic world is small enough and to have a divide between superdorf and mainland is, is ridiculous. One, so, in, one industry doesn't work without the other. Exactly. Um, you know, superdorfs would be nowhere with the morphing crosses without the mainland people Every new, fancy, expensive, beautiful morph out there that you guys all want into Superdorfs, guess what? Can't happen without Mainlands. Um, and, you know, including Mainland blood into Superdorfs is going to help with that 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 more Mainland calm, confident, chill pet several de- generations down the road. Like, you know, and, and the Mainlands are offering or the Superdorfs are offering the Mainland side of being more accessible to the general keeper and having a more manageable size animal, right? So, you know, the Superdorf and the mainland community need to really just pull our heads together and stop, you know, butting heads. Um, you know, that's the cool part about considering myself like a locality person is I have my toes in both sides. And um, I, I'm, I'm really excited for what this group is going to offer. Yeah, me too. So I uh, might as well shout out the name. It's the Retic Alliance on Facebook. Uh, if it hasn't officially launched by the time this episode comes out, you still are more than welcome to join up. We are just kind of ironing everything out and how we want to run it and make sure that there's at least some barrier of entry to make sure that we have ethical keepers and breeders within the group. Yeah. Like I said, it's not going to be your typical group where you just ask to go in and you go like, you know, we don't really care to have this group at 10,000 people. And, you know, I, I love the Retic Nation. You can go on the Retic Nation. You can search as far back as 2009, look at all these different posts, and it's a wealth of information. But 
the retail nation is so saturated with so many people that are not contributing. And we, we would rather have a small group of dedicated ethical keepers and breeders looking to grow the industry in a positive way. Because if we're being honest, um, you know, the more that we continue to see unethical shit happen in the industry, the more likely we are to lose our rights to keep these animals. And so, uh, we're going to get back to the roots of what, what information was shared early on in retake keeping, um, and all about knowledge, growth, networking, and working together to do what's best for the animal. That's the hope anyway. I mean, Yeah, not not too far off from the ideals of the retic lounge. So, I like it so far. Yeah. Um, anything else on this episode, Lucas? No, I'm good with that. I just want to. We didn't drop a Patreon plug. Um, if you guys are listening, and you've been a subscriber, right? We're we're at over 500 subs, which is great. Um, and we're at like 60 something Patreon members. It's five dollars a month. Come join the best retic Patreon the most active retake uh, discord channel um, help grow our little community into a big community where we can continue to focus on positivity. And um, you know, we, we look forward to seeing you on there. Uh, Nathan, you got anything else before we head out? No, that's it. We'll see you guys next week. And speaking of Patreon, we'll see our Patreon members this Friday for our little live chat. Yeah. Take care everyone.